Welcome to Mox on the Mic, your exclusive look into all things Chattanooga athletics. Here's your host, Chris Goforth. This week on Mox on the Mic, we tickle your funny bone. Chattanooga men's and women's basketball have both turned out a lot of great players and people over the years, two of which, both their ex-point guards, have gone on to entertain people from the stage as comedians. Karen Mills was a tremendous basketball player who still ranks at or near the top in several statistical categories. We'll visit with Karen first, and then we'll head to the West Coast and join Skip Clark. Skip played for the Mocs from 1980 to 1983 and was a part of a team that was one shot away from going to the Sweet 16. So we'll hear from both of them today. Hey, make sure that you subscribe uh, to um, Mox on the Mic on whatever your favorite uh, podcast platform is. If you uh, if you're on Apple Podcasts, make sure that you rate and review. We appreciate your five star reviews. It helps us be able to find mock fans, and it helps mock fans be able to find us. So please do that for us. Whatever your uh, uh, your preferred platform is for podcasts, you can find Mox on the Mic there. So let's get ready to laugh with Karen Mills now on Mox on the Mic. Karen, listen, I want to jump around a little bit. We're going to talk some basketball. We're going to talk a little bit of comedy first. And I, I kind of want to start with the, uh, the, the comedy aspect uh, for a second. When did you realize you were funny? When did you realize you had a way of being able to make people laugh? Well, that, of course, that's still uh, debatable. I mean, depending on who you ask. But, um, no, I um, – he, I was never like the class clown, but I always had fun. I always uh, participated in uh, drama class and uh, sketch comedy. And I used to write things. Even when I was uh, at UTC, we would have the meet the mocks night. And I would always come up with a clever way to introduce the team. Like one year we did a take on uh, Saturday Night Live. And so I uh, kind of wrote it and cast everybody. And that's how we introduce people. And, um, and I remember there was, uh, like an 80 something year old gentleman that, uh, came up to me after the meet the mocks night and said, um, what do you plan to do when, after you graduate? And I said, well, you know, I'm, I'm going to coach. I mean, that to me was just what everyone thought I would do, what I thought I would do. And he said, you really need to rethink that because this is your gift. And so, I, it didn't mean much to me then. I thought, yeah, well, <laughs> tell my parents that. They want me to have health insurance. <laughs> so um, I didn't give it much thought at the time, but I've always remembered that. And so then I moved to Atlanta after college, and um, and I, I did a graduate assistantship, but I did not love coaching the way I loved playing. I mean, I would have played till I couldn't you know, play anymore if there had been a, a, a place to go play. But... Um, but I just didn't get the same thrill from coaching. And I come to learn that I think that even as a player, I was entertaining the crowd. I mean, I would rather make a great pass as to even score the points because that got the crowd involved. And so and that was hard for me to admit for a long time because it felt like showboating. And I really wasn't a showboat as a player, but I did come to learn that I did love the crowd reaction. And, and I felt like I was somewhat of a, an entertainer uh, even then. So COVID-19 is pretty much shut down. I mean, it's shut down the comedy clubs. It's shut down the theaters. When do you expect, when do you plan on being able to, to get back on a stage again? 
Um, well, the comedy clubs have just started opening up at like a 35% capacity, which is still not the same experience, but that's, they're slowly opening, but I don't do many comedy clubs. I mainly do theaters, uh, convention type things, and those are going to be the last to come back. And I still have some in the fall that have not been rescheduled at this time. A couple of them are going to go virtual. The others are just waiting to see what happens, but everything just feels week to week, month to month to see when, I mean, I, I'm hoping we can do things in October, but I don't know. Does it basketball, does basketball and that experience playing basketball, does that ever work its way into your stories and jokes? Oh, absolutely. Sure. I talk a lot about sports and, uh, and people constantly tell me that I should do more on sports on my basket, excuse me, on my basketball. But, um, I don't know. I, I mean, I have a lot of material, but at the same time, it was such a serious time for me because we trained so hard and, uh, and I just don't find as much humor there as I, <laughs> as I do in other things. Now there, I do a lot. I have a lot of stuff, a lot of, uh, a lot of humor, but like I say, people ride me to do more on basketball, do more on basketball. And you know, when I was, I'm five two, but I have very large hands and feet for my size. And, uh, I, when I was in school, I could palm a basketball and, <laughs> but now I can't open a jar of pickles. So, you know, that's what, that, so there's plenty of humor that makes its way in in comparison to when I played, but you know, uh, it, it was serious. I was, I was intense. <laughs> How hard has it been? Cause you've been in the business now for, for a while. How yeah. hard has it been to, to climb that ladder uh, in comedy, to get to the point now to where you're not having to do the club circuit anymore. You can do theaters, you can do corporate events. Um, how tough is it? Well, it, it, it's harder for some people than others. It wasn't really as hard for me because, uh, well, first of all, if you're clean, if you work clean, then, and that opens up so many different avenues. You can work clubs, but you can also work corporate. You can work cruises. You can work theaters. You can work all these other places where if you're not, that limits you to clubs. Now you can, you can not, you can be anything you want to be. If your name is big enough that people are going to come see you for what you do. But when you're coming up, it really narrows your opportunities. If you can't work clean, because that's not going to, you know, you're not, it just limits your possibilities. So for me, I was um, probably about eight, nine years in of working clubs. I was um, asked to do Southern Fried Chick Show, which we did for several years at huge theaters. It was very successful. And um, so that got me kind of out of the clubs. And then after I went through ovarian cancer, I started being asked to do a lot more um, uh, survivor events, healthcare um, conferences, those types of things, because I talk a lot about my cancer and find humor in that. So my path has been a little bit different than just your normal comic coming up through the ranks. I find it interesting that it sounds like you find, you find it much easier um, cracking jokes about being a cancer survivor than you do about being a college point guard. I know. Right? Isn't, that, isn't that crazy? <laughs> 
I, and like I said, I have some jokes about being a point guard, but um, I have a real problem with anything that that's not self-deprecating. So my manager will say, you need to let people know that you're an All-American point guard. You led the nation in assists. And I'm like, I can't do that. I can't, I can't get up there and say that. And so I'm just real weird about talking about it because I don't like it to sound like I'm, you know, bragging about my basketball career. So if I, I need to work out a way that I can come right back with something that, you know, like I can't open a jar of pickles. I got to find something I can't do for me to talk about what I did. And it was a hundred years ago. So who knows what I could do now? I mean, you know, I mean, if I played today. <laughs> who are your favorite comedians? Who makes Karen Mills laugh? Well, some you probably never heard of. Um, Kathleen Madigan is hilarious. Do you know Kathleen who she is? Are you familiar with her? Yep, I do. She, yeah. So funny. Uh, Brian Regan. Uh, is hilarious. Um, Jim Gaffigan, um, just a lot of, I don't know, a lot of the people who make me laugh are not necessarily the people everybody knows. So, and then I always say my friends make me laugh because <laughs> my friends are very funny and I, actually they're funnier than I am. I'm just the one crazy enough to get up on stage and try to do this as a profession. Do you still keep up with the women's game today? I do. I'm not as, you know, you can't start saying, what do you think about, you know, UConn and me be able to name every player and tell you where their strengths and weaknesses are. No, I, I don't keep up with it to that degree, but I certainly watch and know who's, you know, kind of know the rankings and a lot of the players. Bradley County girl got player of the year last year. She is a, a an awesome player. Uh, really proud of her. And, um, so, yeah, I mean, I keep up for sure. And I come to UTC game when, you know, when I'm in town, I just travel so much. Uh, it's it's a lot harder. What do you think about the, the way the game is played today? It's a different game that they play today from when you played. Would you enjoy playing the style that they play today? Well, I, I can't really – specifically, what are you – are you referring to? It seems like today's game, well, one, the three-point shot is is a, an, an addition to the game that, that wasn't there. Uh, the game's probably a little more spread out today than what it was in terms of where players are positioned on the floor. It's a little more spread out. It's not so much about trying to get it inside to get the basket now. Seems like much more of it's played along the perimeter. A lot more three pointers, yeah. Because yeah, people are gunning a lot more from from outside for sure. Um, I, you know, I, I'd like to think that I could roll with whatever it was, but um, but for me, you know, penetrating and getting the pass out, whether it be to the perimeter or to the player on the block, that's what I did. So I. You know, and I had the that three-point range, but I wasn't – that wasn't my claim to fame was shooting. I was uh, I was ball handler and passer. So, for me, yeah, I would actually – as far as a more spread out defense, that opened the uh, driving lanes for me, and I'd be all about that. It's, I feel like the game today is way more guard-driven, whereas, you know, even 25 years ago, it was still very much about – you know, post play, but now I think it's I think it's different in that regards. You talk about not being a scorer, but hold on a minute now. 
over 1,100 points. Uh, that's not too shabby. Uh, All-time leader in assist at UTC, the top two seasons uh, for assist. Uh, number two all-time in steals. Uh, top five pretty much in, in just about every offensive category outside of rebounding maybe. And you're a member of the UTC Hall of Fame. When you look back over your four years as a mock, what stands out? Is there a game? I mean, you let's see. You had 20 assists. Uh, it was 1981 against Tennessee Tech. That yeah, one stands out. Yeah, I, I was going to say Tennessee Tech game. That one stands out. And uh, But the ones that stand out the most to me are the ones, like, that I played bad in. I mean, I don't remember. I remember that good one, but I remember you, you talk about the those uh, the categories where I'm in the top five. I'm in turnovers is probably in there too. So I <laughs> I always look to the uh, you know we play Covenant College, and I I was the worst player on the court. We played Barry College, worst game I've ever played in my life. It's like games where we were supposed to like be easy. I, I was terrible. So uh, I would rather play a great game against a tough team and lose as to play against a weak team and win. I know that's crazy, but that's it, it, I, I always just did not do my best when I didn't feel challenged enough and I was, I was terrible. Funny how those are the games you remember now. I know. It's, it's the same thing with comedy. I can, everybody in the audience can be dying and I'll notice the one that's not laughing. I think I need therapy, but um, but that's the truth. I mean, it's like that. I think I know the answer to this. Double-digit points or double-digit assists? What assist. would you rather add? Yeah, assist. For sure. All the way, huh? All the way. All the way. And, you know, I do. I, I speak a lot of times about leadership and, and do some motiva motivational speaking. And, um, and one thing that I always point out is – you know, for me, I, you know, as a point guard, you're leading your team. And I can make the greatest pass ever. And if the other player missed it, I would always say, my bad, my fault. And the other player would always say, no, yeah, it's a good pass. I should have had it. Where if I said, can't you catch? The answer is, can't you pass? So, you know, you always bring that back on you, I think, if you're a good leader you always want to give the, you know, take the blame when something's wrong, just to relieve that, um, to open that communication for everybody to feel, not feel attacked, you know, or, or um, defensive, not to make anyone defensive, and that makes for a better team. Let's go back to growing up for you. When did basketball become – when did you know that, hey, I, I can do this? I'm pretty good at this. Uh, well, I started I started playing organized in the third grade. And I went to Black Fox Elementary. And back then, they didn't have middle school. It was uh, K through 8. And I can remember being on my front porch, just dribble, dribble, dribble. And uh, the coach would not let me play with the older girls because like I said, it was, it was K through eight. So there wasn't, there wasn't a, a, a junior high. So I was too small to play with the seventh and eighth graders, but I would stay after school every day and practice 
on the sidelines. And I just worked on ball handling drills all day, every day. And uh, then in the fifth grade, I actually was starting on the uh, seventh and eighth grade team. So I was playing organized at a, a very young age. And then when I went to Bradley High School, Jim Smitty uh, was our coach. And Data Caldwell was our 6'3 center. And back then, 6'3 was tall. And you were talking about the difference in the game then and now. Well, it was just feed the ball to Data, feed the ball to Data. And, and that was – I can remember Coach Smitty yelling at me because Data walked with the ball. And I was like, why are you yelling at me? She's the one who walked. And he, and he said, because she's not supposed to have the ball. You're the ball handler. You don't give it to her till she's in position to score. And that lesson carried me. And that's why I think I, I did leave the nation in assist, because I learned early on to get people the ball at just the right moment to shoot. So Coach Schmitty had a lot to do with that. Boy, when in looking back on it now, uh, anybody that's from this area, if you've ever kept up with prep sports, you know about Jim Smitty. Oh, yeah. And, and what he accomplished at Bradley. You went from playing for him to playing for Sharon Fanning, somebody that I think a lot of people view as, as not just locally, but I think across the country gets viewed as one of those pioneers of women's basketball coaching and just the way she approached the game. How were those two, and I'll get to Coach Fanning in a minute, but when you talk about going from Coach Smitty to playing for for her, how were they similar? How were those two alike? Because they're both as good a coaches that there has ever been, as far as I'm concerned. Well, they were alike in that they I mean, they expected a lot and they worked you hard. And um, I think Coach Smitty was a little bit more role player, uh, where Sharon gave you a little bit more flexibility with. Um, you know, I, I, I felt like Sharon let me run the team from when I was on the court, not, you know, not otherwise. But when I was on the court, I, I ran the team. Where Coach Mitty ran the team from the bench. I mean, it's like you do this. Where she trusted me enough to uh, let me call the plays, make the decisions. And so – but they both really challenged me. They uh, had – huge expectations and it, it made me better. They both did. I, I'm grateful to both of them for, for the impact that they had on my basketball as well as my life. Did you start from day one at UTC? Yes. I thought you did. To put up the numbers that you put up, I thought you had to immediately come in and, and be a, and be a starter. You sounds like you liked playing for coach Fanny. I did. I liked playing for her very much. And, and when I was really trying to decide where I was going to go, one thing that I liked about Coach Fanning that, uh, and a big reason I came to UTC is because I knew she was going to let me play. She wasn't going to um, uh, run different players in, swap people out, platoon people. I want to be in the game. And she knew that and she made it clear that, you know, that's, that would be my the style that she would uh, coach. So Give me some memories of McClellan Jim. What do you remember about playing in Big Mac? Well, I love the tightness of it. I mean, you, I mean, it was really a home court advantage when you had even, you know, a few hundred people in there. It sounded like a, a big stadium. So um, uh, that 
and the bleachers were so close to the court. So I took a few dives into those that I still have scars from, but, uh, but it was, um, I loved playing at Big Mac, you know, and, uh, we didn't have the roundhouse. It was just, just being built my last year. I think when was the roundhouse built? I think it was yeah, right, right at the that end. time. Yeah, yeah. 83, yeah. I guess 82, 83. Yeah. yeah. Right after I left, but, but I had, a. I, I love Big Mac. Tell me about only because that I'm asking because I'm curious for myself because I don't know. What was the postseason like for you guys? There wasn't a Southern you, – you guys weren't a part of the Southern Conference back then, right? Or there wasn't a, a Southern Conference tournament at the end of the regular season back then? Am I right about that? The first two years, there was not. My last two years, there was. It, it went to – we went from uh, Division two to Division one. And, um, and then we had the Southern Conference. We had the whole thing. So my junior and senior year. And, and you'd ask me, which game do I um, remember? That's when I remember was losing to East Tennessee State in Southern Conference Finals and it ending my career. So there you go. How many of your former teammates do you stay in contact with? Uh, Charlotte Robinson. Uh, we're, we're in pretty um, – we're in touch all the time on Facebook, uh, Judy Red Rogers. Um, I at, at reunions and things, I see people, but in terms of just, uh, I've had two or three people come on the road to see me. Uh, who I talk to more is Skip Clark, of, uh, the men's point guard, because he's also a comic. So we, we text and communicate some. So, um, But a lot of great memories, great friends. Chris McClure. I mean, I haven't talked to her in a while, but um, but I try to keep up when I can. Or if I'm going to, to an area where somebody lives, I try to message them and try to see them. Karen, for folks that want to find you, that want to follow you, maybe there's somebody listening to this that wants to reach out and book you for an event, be it in person or, or virtually. How can they go about finding Karen Mills? Uh, KarenMills.com. Uh, is my website. And then on Facebook, it's Caramels Comedy and Instagram. Same thing, Caramels Comedy. But it all connects from my website, caramels.com. Karen, appreciate it. Thanks so much. Skip Clark may be the best sixth man in Chattanooga basketball history. And at 44 years old, he hit the comedy stage for the first time and has seen his career take off over the last uh, 15 or so years. Let's catch up now with Skip Clark. Skip, one of your teammates recently uh, passed away, Stanley Lawrence, the, uh, the Jessup Giant. You guys came to Chattanooga together. Can you share with us some memories that uh, you have of, uh, of Stanley and your time together? Stanley and I met in 1979 as freshmen. He's from Jessup, Georgia, and I'm from the Bronx, New York. And we clicked right away. It was like you know, it was meant to be. Uh, memories of Stan and I through those four years of college were all great. You know, we won a lot, as you guys remember. Uh, Stan was a gentle guy, a big guy, but he's a gentle guy. He was the godfather. He was the godfather of my oldest son. And so we have memories, man, that go way back. We laughed a lot. We cried a little bit, too, but we laughed a lot and had a great time. How did you get from the Bronx to Chattanooga? Did Chattanooga find you or did you find Chattanooga? How did that happen? Chattanooga found me. Coach Kevin Gray came to recruit a high school player of mine when I was a junior. And he said, Skip, if you keep your grades up and keep your game tight, I'll come back. And he came back and uh, 
it was one of three scholarship offers that I had, and I wanted to leave New York. So uh, I said, yeah, I'm going to Chattanooga. Never heard of Chattanooga. Never been to Chattanooga. The, but I said, I'm going to Chattanooga. Who were the other two offers from? Uh, it was at St. John's in New York and uh, Canisius up in uh, upstate New York. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's two pretty good, and I, I, two pretty good basketball programs as well, though. Yeah, they were. St. John's especially, but I wanted to leave New York. You know, I just wanted to get out of the city, you know, and I'm, I'm so glad I did. First impression of Chattanooga? I saw my first cow. <laughs> on, on the way down there, Coach Howard Ricks, you remember Howard Ricks? He picked me up at the airport. We were driving from Atlanta to Chattanooga, and I, I said, yo, what is that, Coach? He said, that's a cow. I asked him to stop the car. I said, stop the car. <laughs> Stop the car. I need to see this thing. Uh, so you were here in the kind of the early days. Well, it was, it was the early days uh, of the three point line. Would you it, was, it was the, it was the first year we implemented the Southern conference, the first conference to implement the three point line. Yeah. Would you have liked to have had more opportunity, more seasons being able to play uh, and be able to shoot the three a little more than, than what you were? Well, it started in 1979. Eastern Carolina, they started a game at 7.20. We started at 7.30. And a gentleman by the name of Ronnie Carr hit the first three-point in the Southern Conference, and he announced it over the, uh, the speaker at the gym in McCullen. But my four years, we had a three-point line. I was just shooting 18 feet opposed to 22 feet. I was loving it. I was loving it. You were a part of a pretty talented backcourt. It was Nick Morkin was here. Willie White was here. Chris McCray was here. Uh, there was you. What What do you feel like your role, or how did you view your role uh, with with those other group of guards? Uh, my role as the point guard, I was a point guard slash shooting guard, but Mariano put emphasis on controlling the ball. If you turn the ball over, you wouldn't play much. So I consider myself like a floor general, make sure we got everybody in position. And uh, when I had my opportunity to shoot, I would shoot. Yeah, yeah. I want to go back and, and get you to uh, talk a little bit and reminisce a little bit about um, a couple of games. Um, obviously, it's, it's really easy, I think, when you talk about the history of, of the Roundhouse in particular, there's always that game with Michael Jordan in North Carolina coming to town. Uh, right. Did you and, and Jordan, did you guys, were you uh, assigned to him defensively? Were, were you guys? I was. I was in the other 12 guys, too, on the team. We were all assigned to him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What all, what all yeah. do you remember about that game? Uh, it was a great game. Michael Jordan was, I think he was a sophomore. And what really uh, stood out in the game is Sam Perkins and uh, Brad Doherty were really the factors at that time. Um, I guarded Michael for a while, and I, you know, I remember uh, me scoring, I think, 13 points, and he scored 26 points. So it was one of those games. He, Michael wasn't really the focal point. It was Perkins, Brad Doherty, because Brad was from Chattanooga, if you remember. So they, that program was a strong program at the time. But just we didn't know much about Michael. We didn't know he was that super guy until maybe his next year. I think, but he was a fourth. I think one of the other games that stands out a lot to to a lot of people, and and I think uh, maybe until uh, the '97 team might have gone down as as one of the best wins in in program history, and that was 
the victory over uh, over NC State in the NCAA tournament. Um, take us back to that game because again, that's one that folks around here still talk about. 1982, we played them in the first round, and we beat them in the first round. Lou Conaseca was the coach. They had Sidney Lowe, Wittenberg, um, that um, that seven footer Randy Brewer. No, was that yeah Randy Brewer? They had a, uh, Thurl Bailey. They had a great program. We beat them in '82, first round NCAA tournament. Then they won the whole thing NCAA tournament in '83. So that was an experience for us. And beating them let us know we could play, that we could play with those guys. Yeah. Which do you think about more often now, the win over NC State or the loss the next week to Minnesota? Oh, you know, me and Russ, we cried. Stan, we cried. We all cried. We get together. The guys get together. All those guys we still talk to this day on a regular basis. And that game was the game. It was a turning point for everybody. You know, Russ had that pass from Willie White with three seconds left and went up, could have dunked it, could have dunked it, but shot a baby jump and it came in and out. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. So I think about the win more so than the loss against NC State. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It hurts to think about that Minnesota game. And then the next year, it was a loss to Lynn Bias in Maryland, right? Right, 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 right. We had them up, I think, 18, 15 points at halftime. And to Coach Arnold's credit, great coach, but he told us to slow it down, to milk the clock. And that was one of the worst mistakes we made. We should have just kept on running. We probably won that game. Yeah. Let's talk now about your, your comedy career. When did you realize that – a, you had a you had a gift for making people laugh. I want to say at a young age, I was always a happy kid uh, coming out of the Bronx. Uh, never thought about stand-up before, but with those guys that I played with before I came to uh, Chattanooga and the guys at Chattanooga, we laughed and cracked jokes all the time. And I always had a pretty good wit or a pretty good comeback. So when I got on stage at the age of 44, I got on stage uh, for a joke on open mic and I got up on stage and I won. I talked about a joke because I was, I was diabetic. I was diagnosed with diabetes and I was talking about the side effects. So I asked the doctor at the hospital I was working about and he told me about uh, the side effects and how Viagra helps under some of the side effects. It was my only joke. So I went up on stage and talked about Viagra and won the competition. <laughs> And here it is 15, 16 years later, man. 44 yeah. years old, uh, and you yeah. decide to be a, a comedian. Now, before that, correct me if I'm wrong, you actually worked as a bodyguard, right? Right, 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 right. I was a bodyguard for a comedian for five years, traveled across the country. Um, I got into stand-up comedy behind the scenes. After I started becoming a bodyguard for the comedian, I worked at a comedy club, The Doorman. I opened up my own booking agency where I would book comedians across the country. And uh, a matter of fact, we brought a show to UTC back in the day with a couple of comedians. So, yeah, I learned the business from the inside out. So was it hard being in the business the way you were once you went from being behind the scenes to being on stage? Was it hard not to? Because obviously, look, you toured the country. Uh, you right. worked uh, at a comedy club. Was it hard not to steal other people's act or, or to take something that somebody else had used? It is a cardinal sin. It is a cardinal sin to steal people's material. And for me, being at a comedy club and saw all the comics that had come through the country, I knew I couldn't use any of their material. 
I knew that because if I did, they would get me, they would call me out on it. So that's a carnal sin. So I had to work from the ground roots. I talk about my life, my marriages, okay. my kids. You know, I got nine kids, been married four times. I, I got asthma and I'm diabetic. You know, so I talk about my life. <laughs> nine kids, Skip? Yeah, yeah, two sets of twins. And my oldest daughter, oldest boy, birthdays on the same day, six years apart, and three stepkids. Any of them ballers? Yeah, 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 yeah. All my boys have played ball, football and basketball. Uh, one of my twin boys played at uh, junior college in Wilmington, North Carolina. My other son, he played at junior college uh, in Iowa. And then I had a son playing uh, overseas in Canada, still playing to this day. Yeah, yeah. Then I had a couple of football players. So what do you do when a joke bombs? Uh, early on in my career, it would drive me crazy. I get nervous. But if a joke bombs and, and be a, please understand, I, I don't bomb. Okay? <laughs> I was hoping you'd say that. <laughs> I don't, I couldn't really tell you, but from experience, seeing comics bomb, either you move on or you get off the stage. You know, I've gone from five minutes of material to about an hour of material over the last six years. Yeah. It takes time. It takes time. Now, obviously we've been in a pandemic. So the, the comedy clubs, the theaters, those type of venues have been closed. What have you been right. doing? Uh, I work at a hospital. I've been working at a hospital here in California, St. John's, I work in the ER. I'm security for the hospital the last five years. And it's been busy at the hospitals. And I'm not really in a rush to get back, back out on stage due to this pandemic. I just don't feel comfortable with it. I have pre-existing conditions. My wife has pre-existing conditions. And we haven't found a way to, to get this thing under control yet. So I'm not really in a rush to get out there. I write a lot. I talk about a lot of premises. I put it on paper. So when it's over, I can go back out. But right now, I've taken a break somewhat as far as wanting to get out on, on the road. Who makes you laugh? Who do you think that's funny? One particular person or? Uh, just just give, me, give me a couple. Who makes, uh, who makes Skip Clark laugh? My wife and my kids. Man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, my wife and my kids, yeah, they keep me busy. They keep me laughing. Yeah, yeah. So plans for the for the immediate future as far as your – because you've done some acting. You've been in some movies and right. stuff. And, um, right. Any plans for what's to come for, uh, for you? Well, I have an agency in L.A. who does a lot of commercial auditions. I'm getting some auditions for commercials. And I'm um, just keeping my <clears> – this um, social media, Zoom – you know, I haven't gotten on a lot to try to deal with other comics, but trying to get my acting career, commercial career in the meantime, you know, I, I can feel comfortable doing that if it's just me and a few camera crew and, you know, stuff like that. But right now, I'm just not in a rush to get back out there. You get a chance to keep up with Chattanooga basketball still? Oh, all the time. Yeah, yeah, we keep in touch. We got a group text that we keep, Donnell Cochran, Slim Cochran, they, they keep us informed because they're in Chattanooga. Yeah. Skip, appreciate it, man. Thanks for the time. Hey, thank you, man. Thanks to Karen and Skip for giving us some time this week. And thanks to Ann Weehunt for going above and beyond and uh, helping us put this week's podcast together. Special thank you to Jim Horton as well uh, for his help with preparation. And thanks to you guys for listening, for downloading. We uh, will be with you again next week here on Mox on the Mic. No pandemic, no virus. Nothing slows down Mox on the mic. We'll keep bringing these to you every single week. For our producer, Tate Johnson, I'm Chris Goforth saying so long, everybody. 
and go Mox. Thanks for listening to Mox on the Mic. Please remember to rate, subscribe, and review. And we'll see you again soon.